Tom Bernard Show with co-host Catherine Brandt, Andy Brandt Bernard, Mike Molina, and Big Butt Daddy sixty six <laughs> at Gmail. Why do you know that Big Butt Daddy? You love that. You're a big just, fan of just Big Butt Just came to me. I'm gonna have to see if somebody's taken that yet. <laughs> big Butt Daddy. That'll be your new Twitter handle. Yeah. You know, I was talking to Big Butt Daddy just yesterday, and he told me. We will be right back, Tom Bernard. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt and talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. <laughs> it's been good, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it's been good. And how do they contact you? And, uh, e- either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Ladies and gentlemen, Big Butt Daddy. <laughs> Was there a number? 66. Number I don't know her? why that popped up in my head. It just sounds cool. Big Butt Daddy 66 for Walzer Automotive Group, walzer.com. So I was writing some scripts to do for pre-records for the podcast because I realized that I hadn't changed them up in a year. I apologize for that. And one of the things that I wrote about was something that Walzer Automotive Group is part of. It's called the Keystone Program. started 30 years ago by a bunch of Minnesota business people. And if you're in the program, you pledge uh, 5% pre-tax profits every year to local charities. It's a good thing. We've been involved with it for a long time. We're the only automotive group that's in there. But I happened to look up the list of Minnesota companies that are in it. It's, it's, it's Cargill. It's General Mills, the Timberwolves, uh, the Vikings, the Twins. It's really Carmichael Lynch. It's a long, long list. We're really It's cool to be associated with these guys. And it's something that we don't talk about very very often, but it was just sort of, uh, it felt good having the, the company's name in with all those big shots. So that's that's the whole spot. How about that? It's a magnificent spot, I thought. Thank you. Walter Thank you very much. Group. Walzer.com. Like big butts and I cannot lie. You other brothers can't deny. And when a girl walks in with an itty-bitty waist and a round thing in your face, you get sprung. An itty-bitty waist and a round thing in your face. Don't forget that. Yeah, that's me. One of the greatest lyrics ever written. <laughs> Some brilliant lyrics right there. I was listening to a song today that said, Her and I. The her and I, yeah. And him and, and I. Him, him and, and I and her and I. That's not right. Uh, no, it ain't. People say that a lot. People are like, you know, oh, well, you know, uh, I don't really know how to think of an example because you'd have to be talking to someone specifically. It would be like if um, I said that you're, if I was, you know, over at Alex's house, I would say you're going to go visit Alex and I. 
But that's not how it works. Well, be me. Well, and then when I hear it, and it's like it's a song, and it was sort of a serious song. I'm like, maybe they're right, and I don't remember it. But no, it's not right. Mm, It's not right. Her and I. Her and I. Well, her her and I could be right. Him and uh, yeah, him and I could be were could be right. I don't think it was (laughs) right. Not the way they put Uh, it. I don't think it was right. No, based on these lyrics, no, they are not right. It would be him and me. Okay, he and me. He and I. No. Anyway, moving forward. <laughs> Jesus. Um, you know how much it sucks in America, and America's the worst place on earth, and America has white supremacy, even though you can't really find a white supremacist that save your life, and 80 people lined up with their white supremacy signs at the University of Minnesota, 80, pe- 80 protesters and 100 cops. Mm-hmm. So few people were interested. Uh, why don't you move to Egypt? You'd be much happier in Egypt. And here I'll tell you why. To ancient Egyptians, the Nile River was the lifeblood of civilization. It's apparently no less dear to modern Egyptians, as a well-known pop singer has learned the hard way. Shireen Abdel Wahab, described by the BBC as one of Egypt's most famous singers and a judge on the Arabic version of The Voice, uh, spoke ill of the Nile on Tuesday during a concert. Oh, excuse me. She was sentenced on Tuesday. Now, all she said was, during, during, a, uh, during a concert in the United Arab Emirates in 2016, a fan had asked Abdel Wahab to sing a song about drinking from the river, with the singer replying, no, you'd get Bill Harzia. Drink Evian, it's better. That's all she said, no, you'd get Bill Harzia. I don't know what Bill Harzia is. Do you, does anybody know that? Parasite, maybe? I don't know. Parasite, I think maybe. it's Egyptian uh, for the squirts. <laughs> it's Egyptian for schistom, uh, schistosomiasis, which, yeah, is a parasite. A oh, parasite. look at that. This kid, they've got a photo of him. His stomach is really hugely distended. It's it looks all very full of painful. fluid, yeah. Yuck. It's not a good thing. No. I'm going to change my name to Bill Harzia. What do you think? <laughs> oh. uh, the singer replied, no, you'd get Bill Harzia. Drink Evian. It's better for saying those words. Eight total words. Uh, the singer got six months in prison. Well, I think she should. You can get two. I, I you, can, you can get two years in Singapore for for having a pack of chewing gum. That's exactly right. It's true. That's exactly it. Oh, I know. Uh, you, America sucks. We need to keep telling everybody how much America sucks and it's horrible and the inclusion is horrendous. Even though, uh, if you watch television. You need a periscope to find a honky. But anyway. Can you think of anything um, worse on television than the Egyptian version of The Voice? Two hours of yodeling. Oh, oh it would be awful. You could interrogate people. I did it! I did it! Just turn it off! <laughs> You'd admit to committing crime after crime. Just yeah. make them up. I'll sign anything. Just turn it off. Bilharzia is a parasitic disease affecting water sources in Egypt with evidence of it appearing in mummified remains dating back millennia. Wow. Although Abdel Wahab later apologized for the foolish joke, outrage, outrage spread <laughs> with footage of the comment. In November, a lawyer filed a lawsuit accusing Abdel Wahab of disparaging Egypt and damaging oh its tourism industry. God. She was sentenced to six months in Egyptian prison. I really don't think the tourists are over there drinking from the Nile. I'm sorry. I think America sucks. I want you to know that America's terrible. And it's so bad here that if you tackle three people a week, you get paid $25 million a year. That's how bad it's gotten in America. Okay. 
I am so tired of the bitching. I can't take it anymore. Mm-hmm. I really can't. What are you doing right now? I'm explaining that America is a wonderful place. I'm not bitching. I am doing a tourism ad for America and how wonderful it is. Come to America. We suck less. We suck less than you do. (laughs) You want to make your drink from the Mississippi. Well, and part of the problem with college students is, um, and I was one, and is when they do travel, they travel to specific things to do. Yeah. You know, to do thing. You know, something that they're. Pro, their program says that they have to do. They don't really get out there and see what it's really like to live there. Oh, yeah, when they go to Mexico, they don't go to some village where cartels regularly drive through and take no. all their food. No. Yeah. They're going to fair, fairly safe places. They think that they're doing the world a great deal of good, but you know they're all protected because they're usually getting credit for a class, and they're not going to get in too much trouble doing that. But they really don't travel the way you need to to figure out how things are elsewhere. Uh Uh-oh. In a similar case, singer Shaima Ahmed was sentenced to two years in prison in December over a racy music video that showed her dancing in her underwear and eating a banana. That is bad (laughs) stuff. I am not making that up, by the way. If you live in Egypt, in this country, that would be no better. You know, like if you're gonna, they put you in prison for basically doing anything. Yeah. Especially if you're Just a woman. Don't do anything. Good leave. <laughs> what were you saying, Big Butt sixty six? Well, I was saying in this country that wouldn't even make it onto Bob's Burgers. No, really. <laughs> no, it would not. You're absolutely right. Speaking of eating a banana, Catherine and I were watching the movie. And Catherine didn't enjoy it as much as I did because it is a real frat boy movie. Oh my god. Because National Lampoon was a real frat it boy outfit. It certainly was. Yeah. But Drunk, Stoned, Brilliant Dead is in movie form. Now, it was a book that I bought years ago, or I shouldn't say years ago, a couple years ago. But they made a movie of it. It was about the start, the very beginning of the National Lampoon and how it blew up to be as big as it is. And Saturday Night Live is a direct ripoff of National Lampoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, all that happened. I mean, all that happened yeah. was is that uh, Lauren Michaels came down from Canada and stole all the players and paid them more. And he never had an original idea in his life. But um, <laughs> there was a, a picture they put in National Lampoon magazine, and there was a white guy and a black guy, and they were both eating bananas, only the black guy's banana was five times bigger. <laughs> <laughs> that would not fly today. No. Why not? It's funny. No. Hey, no. Tommy, have you, big... uh, have you heard of or watched Brockmire? I love Brock Meyer. Oh, okay. So you're, you're hip to that. We just discovered that a couple weeks ago. Hank Azaria yeah, Jr. Brock is Meyer's just, really he's brilliant. <laughs> when he locks yeah, himself in the booth. <laughs> exactly. Drinks like a fish. Well, oh I, I love his, the voice. His voice is perfect for a baseball announcer. It is. And, he, and it, it just is. It right. sounds so natural, and that's not him at all, of course. And For those no. of you that don't, haven't seen it, I, I don't know what it's on, but... He plays a uh, major league baseball announcer. In the first episode, he finds out his wife is a kind of a sex addict. When she he walks in on an orgy and he freaks out and locks himself in the booth, gets hammered, and then just blasts her on, and winds up in the super minor leagues out in the middle of BF Egypt. Um, it's quite funny, actually. It's true. It's, it's a very very funny. funny show. Is that coming back or is it done? I don't know. I hope it. What's comes it called? Brockmire. B r o c k m i r e. Bruckmeyer, it appears to be coming back. Yes, April really? 25th. Oh, it's mm. coming back. 
Perfect. I was wondering if that was, I don't know how far you can go with that show before you'd get like, okay. I know, they have to do something else, but what? Sarah's already a little tired of Amanda Pete. She's like, okay, enough with the tank tops. Put on something else. (laughs) Cover up, honey. Exactly. Well, she's an attractive young She's very attractive. She can wear tank tops. No, I, th- I think Hank Azaria is amazing in that. I have heard from a million people. I've never spoken to him. I think I may have interviewed him one time, but I have heard from a million people that Hank Azaria is impossible to work with. I have heard that. Really? I guess he's really hard to work with. Well, he he said he was going to leave The Simpsons because he wasn't getting paid enough or something. Yeah. Even though he, what what does he get paid? $750,000 to record five minutes of dialogue? <laughs> I think they've all done that at some point. I remember Nancy it's Carter. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Did yeah. that as well. Oh, yeah. She, he was, he was married to Hell's Truth. Today is the 20th anniversary of the very first time that I told my lovely wife, Lucy, that I loved her. And who's? I decided to go on home and surprise my wife, Lucy, with some gardenias. Please imagine my surprise when I opened my front door to find about a half dozen naked folks sprawled out in my living room. And right in the center of it all was my wife. My wife, Lucy. She was wearing a strap-on, and she was plowing our neighbor, Bob Greenwald. And folks, I do mean right in the ass. Fastball misses. Just low. Count goes full. Three and two. <laughs> How great is that? Oh, my God. He was plowing a neighbor. She was plowing a neighbor. Just a bit outside. Yeah, Count goes, goes full. Three and two. calling the game. <laughs> Oh, have you seen it, Melina? Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. Brock Myers uh, is very, very funny. Now, don't give it away. We're voice. only up at the fourth or fifth uh, okay. show, so don't give it away. Uh, We're not giving anything away. No. He does that voice on The Simpsons, but I'm trying to think of what character. Does, it's yeah. not his baseball announcer voice, oddly, because that's more cartoony. Uh, it's almost like Duff Man. Yeah, yeah, maybe Duff Man. Duff Man's speaking voice. Kind of uh, like that. I tell you, what were we just playing playing last week that was we were laughing so hard about the be- oh bleeding gums uh, yep. Murphy <laughs> bleeding gums Murphy <laughs> we're playing bleeding gums Murphy singing the national anthem for twenty five minutes. <laughs> there was a point though where they every time they sang they had to make it a little bit longer and oh, more yeah. soulful. Oh, yeah, no. People oh, yeah. really got sick of it. There's no doubt about that. Well, Tom, you know what we need no to come back to on. is trial and error. Oh, Trial and Error is fantastic. Yeah. Is it coming back? I, I think so. that's dead. Yeah. God, what? Let's see here. Did you ever watch that <laughs> at all, Doug? No, oh, I haven't no. seen it. It is. Uh, it just says it's premiering in 2018 at some point, though. Okay. There, I tell you what, uh, John Lithgow plays the lead character in it. <laughs> oh. He is so incredible. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have seen it. I forgot what the name was. Uh, where he's indicted for murder. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. He's a star. It's kind of a bad name. Trial it and error. Yeah. It's a very generic name. <laughs> he gets he gets charged with pushing his wife through a glass door <laughs> and killing her. But my favorite my favorite exchange in the entire show, because he lives in a town uh, in Carolina, and the name of the high school their 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 mascot is the Peckers. 
right? It's it's the it's uh, the town of East Peck, South yeah, Carolina. East, yeah. East Peck, the Peckers. Peckers is the name of the club. And the guy comes up to John Lithgow and says, "Well, how long have you been a Pecker fan?" He goes, "Well, I was a junior in college, and I was showering with the swim team." <laughs> how long have you been a Pecker fan? Junior year in college, I was showering with the swim team. Okay, he was talking about football, Larry. <laughs> I mean, a lot of that material isn't so great, and he, but the way he delivers oh, yeah. it is, yeah. makes no, it hilarious. timing is just great. Hi, Josh Siegel, defense counsel. I was expecting someone older. I'm just prepping the case. My boss, Mr. Mankiewicz, will be down here for the actual trial. But you are, in fact, Northeastern. Yeah, well, I'm from New York. And your parents, they're also Northeasterns? Ah, yes. My father was born Northeastern, and my mother is from Arizona, but she converted to Northeastern-ism. Larry, you in good hands. Shalom. I just want to say you're a Jew. I just, you're a Northeastern. That show. So it, might, it, it is coming back in 18, but we don't know when. It just is part of the 2017, 2018... Uh television schedule oh my god is it funny well, and he's running his uh, finger down his nose when he's saying northeast <laughs> yes <laughs> oh wait you know what what 2017 2018 schedule oh as part of the schedule so it's not a full season show that's why because oh. that that's that that schedule has started a long time ago in when may the hell's it coming back if i had to guess i would say probably well, I mean, the season ends, like, soon, doesn't it? Well, I think it might be. A, that was a summer replacement last year, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, no, it premiered on in March. Yeah. Well, so, it, well, so yeah, maybe it'll premiere in March, March this April, year. March, April, May. I don't know. You spring, never know when anything is on anymore. No. Unless you hear it. You true. see it on Facebook somewhere. It's like, oh, that's on again? Or listen to the podcast. It is absolutely true. Yes. And then yes. we'll tell you when everything is on. And we'll wow. be right back more of the Tom Bernard Show. I'm Brad Huckle, president of North American Banking Company. Ask one of our bankers what they love about business banking. They always say the relationship with a client. Case in point, True North Oral Surgery and Implants is a longtime customer with a growing practice. Their banker, Julie Marshall, knows the ins and outs of what they do. So when they need working capital, an equipment loan, or funds for expansion, they call Julie. Are you looking for a banker you can count on? Give us a call. This is Tom. Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience. Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. If you've noticed your vision getting cloudy, blurry, or dim, or having more difficulty seeing at night, you could have cataracts. Tom here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Eye Care. Whiting Clinic is best known for their fabulous LASIK results. You've heard me rave about them for years, but did you know they do much more? They do, and I'm here to tell you about my wonderful experience having cataract surgery at Whiting Clinic. I'm at that age where my vision started to fade, so I called up the folks at Whiting Clinic. They helped me out right away. My cataract surgery was super easy, and thanks to the Whiting Clinic, my vision is top-notch once again. Of course, Whiting Clinic has the most advanced lens technology and vision options available, so I can see far away and up close without wearing any glasses. If you've been told you have cataracts or you're wondering why things just aren't as clear as they used to be, call the experts at Whiting Clinic or go to whitingclinic.com to learn more. See the folks at Whiting Clinic in order to see your very best. And don't forget to tell them that I sent you. So, Doug, uh, 
along really well. You love each other. Oh, yeah. Uh, everything goes smoothly. For now. Everything's real smooth. What do you mean, for now? <laughs> well, you know, you do have a history. But anyway. <laughs> no, I realize that. I'm... I'm coming up on 18, anyway. 18 years here this fall. Oh, that's a good run. Nine, nine, nine each. <laughs> nine each. He goes nine each. Oh, that's really nice. Oh. <laughs> Uh, well, let me just point something out about, uh, you know, loving marriages and all the rest of it. Catherine just tells me, you know, I don't really like these headphones. I like the headphones that have the, the leather uh, um, ear. What were they called? The, what, do you, what would you call this part of the headphone? The ear. Uh, I really don't piece, know if it has I a guess. name. I don't know. <clears throat> you know, headphones have a soft pad yeah. for your ear. These ones make my earlobes itch. <laughs> yeah, th- these ones make her earlobe itch. And she says, I like the ones that, that, that have the leather. And I said, well. Do you want to use mine, and I'll use yours? And she goes, I don't want your ear juice. You know what you ought to well, buy? What the hell is that? Buy her one of those cost ones from the 70s that weigh about 40 pounds with a 20-foot-long oh, curly. I'll Back before they had uh, neodymium magnets, so yep. they had to put this gigantic rare earth yeah, magnet in it. They sounded yeah. great, but after half an hour, you felt like your head was in a vice. I'll, take a, I'll take a photo of Tom's headphones and post them on they're old yeah they're old they are they old shredded yes. they're not shredded they're wonderful <laughs> but yeah those were called cost pro four double a's That's i right. used them when i was at 1500 kstp and i blew up about three pairs of them because they were so loud <laughs> <laughs> they were loud man i tell you what those things you, you could blast some sound through those bad boys well and now you have horrible hearing <laughs> i wonder why <laughs> what what did you say? What? Yeah. I didn't hear you. What? Funny. You are the reason that I keep my headphones as low as possible. Yes. What? It's a yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a lesson. Well, I, I, although I mean, headphones aren't really not that old of a thing, so you know you couldn't have known better, I suppose. Wait a minute. Look at look at it this way. Look at all I've done for you. The headphone thing. You don't drink wine by the case. I mean, look at all the stuff that I've. <laughs> Been done for you. I don't really drink at all anymore. I just you I don't, don't drink at all. You're not a you never just, were a drinker. I just yeah really don't get the thrill. It's they, all right. They say that if you don't drink by the time you're 21, you're probably never going to drink. And I never did. You can take night classes well, now though. I don't know how to drink. That is true. Yeah, if it's a, it's a cheaper than ever technically. I suppose that's you true. Go to the liquor store and get a. That's another thing I don't get is people who buy like, you know, six packs of beer every day or whatever. It's like, why not just get like a 96 pack every month? Because then you have to look at how many you're drinking. That's true, I suppose. <laughs> six pack at a time doesn't seem so bad. Yeah, you can be like, well, I uh, no, I only bought one last yeah, exactly. week, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm when fine. When the entire refrigerator is filled with booze and you're That's true. finishing it off in a month. I did it on the morning show, and I will do it here, too. I want to say, uh, send off a friend of mine, a guy, a Minneapolis cop named Lurch. Lurch was about as good as it got. He was a very tough cop, but a great guy, very a wonderful sense of humor. But they called him Lurch because he kind of looked like and sounded like Lurch. <laughs> a very quick Lurch story. Exactly. Oh, I'm going to arrest you. Anyway, Lurch tells a story one time. He's in the patrol car in North Minneapolis, and he became a sergeant, actually. I think he ended up being a sergeant, to tell you the truth. But um, he's in the patrol car in North Minneapolis back in the day, and a guy rolls right through a stop sign. 
as you can still see to this day in North Minneapolis, if you go through there, my old neighborhood that I go through every day. But in any case, guy rolls through a stop sign. So Lurch pulls him over. And Lurch, I hope you're in heaven listening to this, man. He just died last night. <laughs> he pulls the guy over, and he said, what are you pulling me over for? He said, because you rolled through the stop sign. He goes, well, I slowed down. And Lurch goes, well, I'll tell you what. Why don't I pull you out of this car and beat the piss out of you? And you could tell me at that point, you want me to stop or just slow down? <laughs> <laughs> He was, was he poisoned or? <laughs> Who Lurch? Yeah. What do you mean poisoned? Made some enemies? No, he was just a he was a cop that took his job very seriously. One other quick story about Lurch. He gets called. There's a murder in North Minneapolis, so he gets called in, and he calls the sergeant. He says, "Sergeant, got to get over here." Sergeant shows up, and all the family's still in the living room. And the sergeant goes, "What are you people all doing in here? Get the hell out of here!" So they leave, and there's one guy sitting on the couch with a, a newspaper in his lap and his mouth hanging open. And the sergeant goes, I told you, get the hell out of here. And Lurch says, uh, Sarge, that's a guy who's dead. He goes, oh, then you can stay. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently the guy was reading his newspaper. Uh, he was startled, looked up, and his mouth was open. The guy shot him right in the uh, mouth. Oh! The bullet went right in his mouth and out the back of his head. So he, you couldn't tell he'd been shot because it went in his mouth. <laughs> oh, God, those stories. I was talking about Al Berriman and Tony Miranda and Lurch and John Locke and all those great North Minneapolis cops. They were unbelievable. So, Lurch, I hope you're in heaven, man. You deserve it. There's no doubt about it. Just died last night at the young age of 69 years old. Mm. Well, that was does... he super tall? He was not super tall, but he was tall and thin. Uh, well, thin is, you know, good. But, you know, once you get past 6'6 six, six or so, things start to get think There's bad. no hope for Doug. I'm not 6'6". Yeah, he's six. Six. too tall. <laughs> no. 6'6 um, six, six is pretty tall. The real Lurch was 6'9". He was? Yeah, and he only lived to be like 45. 6'9", wow. That's... I will tell you this. the uh, Being a cop is a lot more stressful than people think it is. Yes. You know, that's... I used to think I wanted to be a cop, but I could not. There's no not way. Not now. Yeah. You'd, be, you'd have been a good cop, Andy. No, I would really... not have. Why not? Because I would have gotten dishonorably discharged after some... <laughs> after some kid decided to mouth off and I'd be like that's how you want to play it, huh? <laughs> well, he even did the Humphrey Bogart you, Cagney? <laughs> yeah, say listen Isn't that how cops talk? <laughs> yeah, so this is what we're going to do, see? Like <laughs> Get your hands on the hood, see? <laughs> Pull the car over, see? <laughs> that would be great Stop texting and driving, you see? Uh, <laughs> I, I've told this story before My mother actually did that to me one time because I I played a joke on my mother, and, you know, my mother was very funny, but she had no sense of humor. <laughs> I don't know why that is. But she actually said this, and exactly like this. She was talking about, she was like, yes, my friends, the Nelsons, they're, uh, you know, rather wealthy. And, of course, there were no wealthy people that were her friends. She was making it up as she goes <laughs> along, right? <laughs> and, and she goes... Yes, well, my friends, the Nelsons, they're, uh, you know, quite wealthy, and they're doing uh, very, very well, and uh, they invited me over for dinner. I said, 
Nelsons don't have any money at all. They're stiffs. And she goes, say, listen, they're doing plenty good, see? <laughs> <laughs> she turns into Edward G. Robinson. I mean. <laughs> You've been watching The Twilight Zone. <laughs> She's watching The Twilight uh, Zone. What do you think? You're Messiah now. I Where's your Moses now? God, that's a great bit. Billy Crystal doing Edward G. Robinson. Well, speaking right, of texting on. and driving, some things you see in Florida, just on the way over here, some old guy turned uh, left on Olive. Uh, which, oh, God. One way. Yep. Luckily, it wasn't into traffic. Well, I mean, it was, but there was a stoplight, so, yeah. You I see that lucky. all the time. That's why. Yep, when, all the time. Yeah, whenever I, uh, one-way street, I still look both ways. Yep, me too. Yep, because idea. you never know no, in Florida. You never know. Oh, I did see. I did see something today, though that you know ne- you, you never see. Of course, there was a Rolls Royce, and the license plate on the Rolls Royce said "Bop Bop." So I'm going to have to go put oh, no. all my nickels and dimes together to go buy it because it says "Bop Bop" just, on the license plate, Alex. Oh, just just no. steal the plate. Yeah. <laughs> Throw it on the Mustang. Car. <laughs> don't don't. <laughs> I should get Bop Bop on my license plate in Minnesota. Yeah, it'll take you about good. a year. Yeah. Really? Yeah, there's I don't you Why not following this, but there's a huge problem with the state of Minnesota licensing stuff. So four years ago they spent ninety million dollars to update the licensing system and it's been a complete yes. disaster. You can't get personalized well, plates like there. The government. Well, they gotta spend another forty five grand to try to fix it. And Fox just did a story Two weeks ago, they interviewed a guy who was in the IT department at the state, and he went to the governor's office in 15 and said, this thing is a total S-show. Don't launch it. And they launched it anyway. And it's going to cost us $130 million so you can get licensed. But right now, titling is backed up Ooh. about five or six months. That is not good. So you might uh, also have to hold LeBon. off on the bop-pop for a while. <laughs> the bop-pop. You know uh, Simon LeBond from Duran Duran, right? Well, he doesn't come over the house anymore, but he used to. No, but I mean, you know who he is. Yeah. So while I was working at Capitol, I, of course, I traveled with Duran Duran when they first came out in 1977 or whatever year it was. Were there a lot of girls <laughs> that hung around with those guys? Uh, yeah. Yeah, there were. <laughs> yes, indeed. Especially Simon. Yeah. Uh, but he came... He, I don't, For some reason, he went... He ran down to the drugstore, because at that point... People really didn't know who they were yet, right? They had just, uh, I think they came to, for some reason, all, it was because of record distribution in Minneapolis, because of Musicland and... Uh, and uh, Sam Goody? Um, uh, it wasn't Sam Goody yet, it was Musicland and Amos Heilecker. What the hell was the name of his company? <clears throat> Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter at all, but, but in any case, um, he came back in, Simon LeBond came back in, and he said... <laughs> I just saw this thing outside. It was terrible. I said, "What?" He goes, "What is it with these license plates?" I said, "What are you ta- What are you talking about?" He said, "There was a license plate, and it wasn't a Minnesota plate. It was from some other state. I can't remember what he said because they let these people do anything." And I said, "What do you mean?" And he said, "The license plate simply said P E N one five. Oh my so God. Now, God. So they got Pen 15. Yeah, that was the thing when I was in grade school, the Pen yeah. 15 Club. A club? Well, they'd, they'd say, I want to join the Pen 15 Club, and you'd say, sure, and they'd write it on your arm, and then you'd be like, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, it's, no. it's written on my arm. 
I will tell you this. Uh, <laughs> I did see this one myself when I was in my mid, mid-20s. mid We might want to cool uh, it on the Ictok Jays. Alex is here. Yeah. I know. Also our guest. Oh, our guest is on already? Uh-huh. Roseanne. Oh, Rose, okay. Well, I just wanted to make sure uh, what the situation is because that you we should... That's why we can't be late with this stuff. I hate being late because we should be We're going to break late. in two minutes. Yeah, we are. Mm-mm. Oh, no, wait a minute. She's early. It's 1234. Uh, I do not have the... we got to take a break here. Mother of God. <laughs> having problems? Well, you didn't send me the information. What one are you on? I'm on Hotmail. There, I just oh, got it. Oh, you just now. refreshed it. Hot there you go. Mail. Oh, yeah, I refreshed. It was my fault. Roseanne, what a disaster. I mean, not you, us. She just hung up. <laughs> Roseanne Lake, left over in China, the women shaping the world's next superpower. Ooh, this ought to be interesting. Forty years ago, China enacted a, the one-child policy, only recently relaxed. Among many unintended consequences, it resulted in both an enormous gender imbalance with a predicted 20 million more men than women of marriage age by 2020, just two years from now. China's first generations of only daughters, given the resources normally reserved for boys, these girls were pushed to excel in school and thrive in their careers as if they were sons. I want to hear all about this, Roseanne. This is amazing. Uh, I guess I knew that there was a one-child policy. First of all, why was the one-child policy enacted in the first place? The one-child policy was enacted to boost uh, China's economic growth. One of the quickest ways to do that, to to raise your GDP, is basically by reducing the number of people that you have to, to, to... for the calculation of that number. Um, but it was also enacted at a time when around the world there was this general malaise around overcrowding and overpopulation and there being shortages of, of resources. Mm-hmm. And China also had a great famine, right? So it was still kind of reeling from the aftershocks of lots of people dying because there wasn't enough food. And so it was just decided that it would be a good time to curb population growth in order to um, to make the country a bit stronger, um, to, you know, uh, to, to decrease the demand for, for food and other basic resources and, and focus on having the people who are, you know, in the country um, focus on building the nation and, and the economy. No, Roseanne, I do have to take just a very, very quick break. Is that all right? We come right back and I want to get involved deeply in leftover in China. Is that okay? No problem. Roseanne Lake, our special guest. Be right back, Tom Bernard Show. Just like all of you, I had been hearing about my pillow and was skeptical that it was as great as everyone says. Well, I received my first my pillow and I love it. It's very comfortable, stays in that same exact position all night. Fantastic. Mike Lindell, the inventor of my pillow, has a very special offer for Tom Bernard Show listeners. My pillow is offering more than 50% off his four pack special, which includes two premium my pillows and two go anywhere pillows. If you're looking for a great night's sleep, now is the perfect time to get your first My Pillow. If you already know how great the My Pillow is, why not give them to everyone you know? Call 800-516-5146, use promo code TOM, or go to MyPillow.com. But make sure you use promo code TOM. Call 800-516-5146 and use promo code TOM. That's 800-516-5146, promo code TOM. This is Tom, and I want to tell you a story about camping. A guy named Tim, his back pain, and his angry wife. You see, Tim went camping with his family, but he aggravated his recurring back problem a couple of days before when he was golfing with his buddies. His wife had to set up the campsite and do all 
all the heavy lifting, and Tim couldn't do a whole lot with the two kids. Tim was not a happy camper, and neither was his wife. The following Monday, Tim's wife got him an appointment at Hopkins Health and Wellness Center, a DMR method clinic. Their team of physical therapists and chiropractors figured out what was really wrong with his back, quickly got him out of pain, and taught him how to keep it from coming back. And what did Tim say was the biggest benefit of finally handling his back problem? Happy wife, happy life. DMR clinics are a group of physical therapists, chiropractors, and allied medical spine specialists that can help you feel better fast. They have a 96% success rate. It's covered by insurance, and you don't need a referral. They have convenient locations in Hopkins, Woodbury, Rogers, and Blaine. For a free consultation, go to dmrmethod.com. That's dmrmethod.com. This was the very first music video that I ever saw. Really? It was, yeah. Duran Duran Girls on film. Roseanne Lake, our special guest, Roseanne, the reason I was talking about that is because I, back in 19, uh, from 77 to 82, I was the regional promotion director for Capitol Records, and Duran Duran had just broken at that point, and I know that doesn't interest you in the least, but I just wanted you <laughs> included in the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so it all works out. Well, that was a very <laughs> sounds good. It all works out in the end. Now, Roseanne, I have to ask you a question, and I don't have an opinion on this. I'm just asking you a question because many people blame Chairman Mao for starving 80 million people to death. So that wasn't necessarily the case. They just what happened? No, I mean the Cultural Revolution was a very difficult time, and um, you know the plans for for what China was going to become weren't necessarily very well thought out. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't absolve him of blame for starving many many people to death. Um, there isn't really a concrete number. You'll see very high numbers, and then you'll see something like four million. There there are different sources and and, and you know different numbers reported. Of course, it was a very difficult time. Um, but, you know, it, Mao was also very well aligned with the Soviet sort of pro-natalist policy, mm-hmm. which is why there weren't, um, you know, population controls at the time. Now, starting before the one-child policy, which is something that very few people know, um, as a way to sort of address, um, you know, the, the overpopulation or this, this fear of, you know, getting to a point where there were just too many mouths to feed, that China wouldn't be able to, to handle the burden, um, there were population controls um, instituted before the one-child policy. Um, I detail them in the book. Um, some are, you know, campaigns. One was it translates as like the, the later, longer, fewer um, campaigns. So Chinese people were encouraged to have children later, to wait longer between having children and to have fewer children overall. And these campaigns were actually quite successful. Um, they, they managed to bring down, you know, the numbers of population quite effectively. And part of that is because at the time, everyone in China was belonged to a work unit. And so um, if you were having too many children or too quickly or too soon, um, you could get in trouble by your work superiors. And so there was an easy way of enforcing um, these sort of more mild population control measures. And the one-child policy came along later because it was kind of perceived that something more drastic needed to be done. And you also had a different leader in power, right? You had Deng Xiaoping, who was much more reform-minded. He was the one who kicked off all of China's economic reforms, which have led China to become what it is today. And he did not adhere as closely to this, you know, the, the Russian sort of pro-natalist policy. And, and so the one-child policy um, coincided with a lot of these economic reforms. And, and now a generation of, you know, China's first only daughters that I would argue are, you know, turning it into a, a very important place on the world map. Oh, there's no question about that. As a matter of fact, China, 
China could take over the world, actually, and I'm talking about from an economic sense. How, how many trillions of dollars does the United States own China at this point? They, they owe... Oh, I stopped counting. <laughs> well, we all have. Um, but it's a whole lot. <laughs> it is a whole lot, Roseanne. I, China has so much money. Well, again, I, I think for, for maybe our younger audience, I'll just quickly say that after World War II, the rest of the world was pretty much destroyed by World War II, and all the manufacturing took place in the United States of America because it was unharmed and undamaged. And then uh, all of a sudden, as time moved on, the United States, um, Germany, uh, because of Volkswagen and Mercedes and all these companies, they had been building cars but weren't allowed to for a while. And then that got started up again. Then Japan, of course, America. Uh, trying to help Japan rebuild its economy after the the atomic bombs were dropped on, on Japan, the auto industry rebuilt there, and China kind of sat back and watched all this developing and happening. They, they've been very smart about this whole... What, what's the population of China now? Do you know, Roseanne? It's officially 1.3 billion, um, but what I discovered in the process of researching this book is that a country that large is actually... They, they've not done a great job of keeping tabs on the population. No. So there are demographers who will dispute that number and actually say, you know what, China is no longer the world's most populous nation. It's been outpaced by India. They've not been doing right. a very good job of keeping, keeping tabs on their numbers, and they've actually lost lost accounts. But in the ballpark of, of 1.3 billion is the generally accepted number. Ballpark. Because some people think there are up to 2 billion people now. What I, I believe India now, what is that, about 1.5, somewhere around, somewhere in there. Uh, but in any case... Uh, China, as far as far as that's concerned, the the women shaping the world's next. We're talking to Roseanne like about her book, Leftover in China: The Women Shaping the World's Next Superpower. Isn't isn't it already a superpower, Roseanne? Well, it depends who you ask. I certainly get the superpower, but there's some people who would disagree with that. Really? Um, I, I think it's. Well, yeah, I mean, I think there are people who kind of maintain that um, the U.S. is the ultimate superpower, and the U.S. certainly is a superpower. It has been for a long time. Um, but, you know, there are other countries that are sort of encroaching on its dominance. Um, when you think about things like climate change, um, we've kind of lost, you know, our ability to lead on that topic for various political reasons, and China knows that. And so they've scooped up a lot of those opportunities. Um, one, because they're business opportunities to manufacture, you know, solar panels mm-hmm. and the like and, and, you know, have them have them used in various investment projects from, you know, um, Belt and Road to investment products, projects in, in Latin America works well for business. And it also is a bit of, you know, it's a bit of good PR. We care about the environment if we're investing in renewable technologies. Um, but also kind of on a smaller front. Uh, I cover Cuba now for The Economist. And That's so I have eyes on China's influence in Cuba. And I'm seeing that a lot of the opportunities that U.S. corporations could have had, um, had diplomatic relations, you know, been restored fully, um, China is scooping them up, right? It's, they're, they're, and it's not like Cuba has, you know, the potential to, it, it, it's small, it's small pickings for, for China, which right. has investments all over Latin America and all over the world. Um, but again, these are opportunities that, you know, the, the U.S. is missing out on and, and China is getting instead. Why do you think it is that, and, and the, I only stay, I will stay on this for just one minute, but I think one of the problems we have exactly what you're talking about, the fact that we don't move forward in any things is that we can't get along with ourselves any longer and haven't been able to for quite some time now, since the 60s, to tell you the truth, and I was uh, a teenager in the 60s, um, 
we couldn't get along then, and we really can't get along now, and it's really harming the country. I, I just I don't understand the stupidity of all of that. I just I don't get it. Why we're allowing uh, a great country to? I'm not saying come apart at the seams, but there certainly are. There's fraying at the edges. That's for sure. It's because we can't get <laughs> along, don't you think? Certainly, um, and you know that's a part of part of the things that we value highly. We value democracy. We value freedom of expression and opinion and, and ideas. And so, you know, it's it's becoming increasingly obvious that there are a lot of things that we are as a nation are in, in disagreement on, and that doesn't really help us move forward. Um, it's not saying that you know China's political system is anything that we should envy or sort right. of emulate, but right. it doesn't get lost on anyone no. <laughs> that spends time there. That you know. There is, things are coming apart at the scenes as well, um, but because people can't express it as much, it, it's more contained for now. I mean, who knows what will happen down the line. There was just a big announcement over the weekend. Um, the leader of China, Xi Jinping, is, is, has decided to stay in power until 2023. Um, but it yes, means right. that he's messing with the Constitution, and, and he's certainly very authoritarian. I, I was um, curious. I was countries, you know, neither, either superpower. Go ahead. I was curious uh, if you know anything about the general Chinese reaction to that whole president for life uh, balloon that he floated up. What what are the what, yeah, are, what are the Chinese thinking? Yeah, that's not going over so well. Okay. It's 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 hard to um, express these things on social media because you know if you go too far, what what you say will be scrubbed. Um, but on Weibo, uh, which is you know China's equivalent of, of Twitter. Um, there's certainly been there's certainly been you know concerns expressed with this and and people that you know Chinese that I've spoken with who are here um, just kind of saying you know it's rather shocking to us that, that this is going to continue. He's getting too powerful and this is dangerous. Things are becoming too centralized. It's not good for our economy for our stability. There certainly are concerns. I mean, people are aware that this is probably not how things should proceed. They've expressed you know this kind of. Uh, uh, this feeling of this has been decided and we haven't had any say in it, which they have not. Um, it's a decision that you know has been, been made completely outside of, of, of what the general population feels. Um, it's just a different system, and, and I don't think it's certainly not perfect, neither is ours. Uh, it's kind of a general state of global politics, I would say. Uh, there's disagreements that you were talking about. We can't really get along. I know you're here to talk about leftover in China, the women shaping the world's next superpower. We're going to talk more about that. But there are about 15 other things I want to talk to you about because of your your background. Very quickly, um, you are working uh, as the Economist uh, Cuba correspondent, correct? Yes. Okay. How much time do you spend in Cuba? I go down to Cuba once every four to six weeks and do a whole bunch of reporting and collecting information and then come back out and report it where it's easier to get things done for connectivity reasons and, and everything else. You're a bit off the map when you're in Cuba. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I, I also do a morning show, and on that morning show I was talking about uh, Bill Weird did a really nice report. He went to Cuba, did a great job. He, he, uh, he's a correspondent for CNN. Bill is a, is a friend and does a great job. Really good job. So I, I, I watched his report on Cuba, and in that report he, he talked about the fact that uh, the average worker in Cuba makes about $20 a month. Correct? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. well, I talked about that story on the morning show, and the first call I got was a guy who called in and said, and I quote, you're a goddamn liar. <laughs> wow. <laughs> 
obviously a Ph.D. in foreign policy of some sort. Right. <laughs> he, 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 he thought that I was trying to disparage Cuba and, and dissuade people from ever getting involved in anything in Cuba and that I was this evil human. I said, would you calm down? I Do a little research and then get back to me. It's exactly what we're talking about, Roseanne. I was talking about Cuba. And he just thought immediately. His it wasn't a thought. What? Ooh, I should check this out and see if that's true. His immediate thought was, I was trying to disparage Cuba and break off any contact with them whatsoever. People jump mm. to these conclusions. It's it's so odd. They certainly do. Very few people are. Very few people uh, actually look into the facts of what they're doing before making accusations. No question. Do you mind if I ask you where, where did you go to college? I went to NYU. I got my master's in journalism there. No, I was going to say, because you seem highly educated. I mean that as a compliment, by the way. So don't tell me you're a goddamn liar, Tom. <laughs> no, it, look, it, Thank it's, you. <laughs> it seems like you work very hard. Uh, you do a lot of research. So I admire people who do a lot of research before they talk. I like that a lot, as a matter of fact. Have you been interested in, in this line of work your whole life? In journalism, you mean? Well, I mean, yeah, and and at this level, uh, traveling all over the world. Not, look, there are journalists that uh, never leave the Midwest. What you've done is traveled pretty much all over the world. I find it. Uh, did you always want to do that as well? Not only be a journalist, but did you want to be a a, a, a worldwide journalist? Well, I think all of this comes down to languages. Um, I've always been interested oh, okay. in them, and they're one of the few things that I feel like I'm consistently pretty good at. Um, I grew up speaking Spanish at home because my mom's from Spain, and I studied French and Italian in college, and they both came pretty easily to me. And so I got to the point where it's like, am I really good at languages, or is it just that these are romance languages and I'm cheating here? Let me give myself a real linguistics challenge. And so my initial mm. interest in China was to pick up the language. Um, you know, it was emerging on the world stage. China had just hosted the Olympics. Lots of people were talking about it, and I thought it would be a, a proper linguistic challenge, and it certainly was. Um, Mandarin is, is, is very different from any sort of romance language that I, you know, mm-hmm. they studied in the past. And I guess just that general curiosity has led me to travel places, right? So in studying, you know, Mandarin, China is obviously a very good place to be. For France, uh, French-speaking countries, for, for Spanish, <laughs> Spanish-speaking countries, and of course there are multitudes of those. So it does sort of end up that you, you know, you get around. No, I just, I am always very curious why people do the things they do, how they go about doing it, and you, you just explained it very clearly. It's fascinating. I, I love finding out why people do what they do and how they do it, and the ways in which they do it, uh, because you seem very even keel. It's not like this is it. I wrote it, and it's that's just how it is, and that's how it's going to be. You just kind of flow along and say, well, this is this and that's that, and this is what I found out. <laughs> you know, it's very rare, Rosanna. Well, it's a very nuanced place. It's, it's a yeah, nuanced yeah. place. It's a complex place, and it's a big place. I mean, one of the hardest things about first starting off writing the book is you're going to write a book about Chinese women. There's 650 million of them. How can you possibly <laughs> capture how they all feel? Right. I mean, that right. was very intimidating to me as I started. And it, for, for a while, it, it meant that I actually didn't start. It was like, I'll never be able to get it right. There's just too many of them, and they're mm-hmm. going to feel differently. And, you know, as you grow as a writer and the more you, the more research you do, you start to realize you're never going to represent everyone's voice, but you can sure as well try your darn hardest to be as representative of the voices that you're hearing as possible. And ultimately, um, I hope that's what comes across in the book. 
left over in China, the women shaping the world's next superpower. We're going to reach out and have you on again, Roseanne. There are many more things I want to talk to you about. Great. Well, it was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much, Roseanne. We'll be back. Tom Bernard Show.